It is officially presidential election season. Bold Americans, we are down to just two candidates in the Republican Party, one candidate in the Democrat Party because the other people aren't even being acknowledged, and then RFK Jr. Ron DeSantis has officially suspended his campaign. You might have seen people telling you, oh, well, that means there's a chance that he's coming back. He didn't say he ended it. He suspended it. Well, today I'm going to educate you on why politicians suspend campaigns instead of end campaigns. As always, follow the money. That is what it's all about. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. Let's get emboldened. America. Emboldened. Great. I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden. Thank you so much for subscribing over here on patreon.com backslash America Emboldened. It's important that we continue to build a strong community together because we are in the middle of an election season. There's issues that are plaguing us as far as polarization. We're getting into all of that. Let's get straight to it. Ron DeSantis has officially suspended his presidential campaign. And after he suspended his campaign, Trump was almost immediately asked whether or not he would still be using the title Ron DeSanctimonious. And he said that he was retiring the name to a bunch of cheers on the uh, campaign trail. Now, Ron DeSantis, as he suspended his campaign, as I expected him to do, put in a endorsement for Donald Trump. But I want you to hear how he contrasted himself from Donald Trump while giving the endorsement. Here's his word. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear a repackage formed of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. There you have it, bold Americans. Those are Ron DeSantis' words towards the end of a speech before he thanked his wife and his children for all the work and the different individuals that had worked on the campaign. But when he talks about Donald Trump, he doesn't say that he believes that Donald Trump is the best presidential candidate moving forward. He says that it's clear to him that the majority of Republican primary voters want Trump to have another 
chance. That doesn't sound like a stellar endorsement to me. He also went in on the watching the presidency be met by resistance with Democrats using lawfare to this day to attack him. I believe that is DeSantis's way of saying, I acknowledge there's 91 counts of crimes against him, and it's all Democrats that none of this is a crime that he actually committed, which I think might be a bit of a miscalculation, but he was very careful in how he used those words. But the part that I really agree with the Santas on, and it's the thing that I've been talking about on my show for the last two years, is that Donald Trump handled the COVID pandemic horribly and his reliance on Dr. Fauci was miserable at best. And so when he says that, you know, he had disagreements with him about coronavirus and Anthony Fauci, I'm glad that he's calling that out now, but that would be really, uh, I think it would have ignited his campaign had he called that out during the campaign season, talking about the differences between him and Trump on people's personal liberty, as well as the way that Donald Trump sold this country out to the tune of almost $3 trillion in free money that in many ways has been criminally taken by society. There are people that fraudulently got the COVID relief money for businesses that they did not even own. That is correct. And there is money that has just completely disappeared from the books. No one knows where it's at. I also know that school districts all got a ridiculous amount of COVID relief funds. And that money has not been properly accounted across this country. When you look at the way that Donald Trump handled the entire COVID uh, pandemic, sure, you could say that any president would have found themselves under fire in a very difficult situation. But I believe that Donald Trump had the opportunity back then to listen to people like Ron DeSantis, to listen to common sense. Instead of telling everybody that you're about to die, find common sense ways, because we know now that the lockdowns did not save any lives. The data is 100% clear that lockdowns did not stop infection, nor did it save lives. That we probably should have handled the uh, retirement homes completely different. That we should have handled ventilators completely different. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. But I believe that Ron was correct. Now, does he say that he is now supporting Donald Trump? No. He says, I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. Now, that means if Nikki Haley is the nominee, would he support Nikki Haley? Well, then he kind of says, well, he, meaning Trump, has my endorsement, as you just heard him say, because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. But he just said he signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee. So is he basically saying that he only believes that Donald Trump has a path forward, Nikki Haley does not? Because I can tell you, corporate America right now is pushing Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is a Democrat in sheep's clothing. And she is a warmonger, which I believe Democrats love war at this point in time as well. It seems rather clear to me that Democrats are very happy to uh, continue to push us into World War III. 
Don't believe me? Just look at what Joe Biden's been doing with the Ukraine, with the Middle East. This is not going to end well whatsoever. And so he finishes off in his speech by saying, the days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing the large corporations, of caving the woke ideology are over. I'm sorry, Ron, but they're not over. You dropping out of this race or Donald Trump continuing on does not put any of that over. Republicans have no idea just how bad they're losing. Democrats control everything. You want to know why Republicans are losing so bad? Go to your local governments across this country. Democrats are in control. You want to go to your school boards? Democrats have taken control. The Republicans have no leadership, no vision, and they have no one to blame but themselves. The Democrats are outworking and outthinking and outsmarting in general the Republican Party. The Republican Party might be correct on some of these issues, talking about the woke ideology that's messing up everything, DEI, right? Getting into how diversity hires in order to have equity. Talk about the airlines, what's going on right now. I mean, there are some things right now that has me scratching my head as to why we are not hiring the best people anymore and the companies are telling us that. They're, they're just putting that out there. Anyway, so I wanted to get to why are all these candidates, Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, why are they suspending their campaign instead of ending their campaign? And here's a funny thing. I'm not sure. Perhaps Ron DeSantis will get himself in trouble because in his final words, in his, uh, in his speech, he says, while this campaign has ended, the mission continues. That is different wording than suspended. So why does it matter? It doesn't mean that somebody's going to all of a sudden start running for president again should something happen to Donald Trump. It doesn't leave the door open in any way, shape, or form. That is not why all presidential candidates throughout the history of running for president suspend campaigns. As I said at the beginning of the show, it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the money, ladies and gentlemen, because... You're going to owe people a ton of moolah after you raise all this money and buy all these ad campaigns. And so if you just end it, guess what happens? All those coffers, they come around and they go, you know what? We need our cash. You've closed down your presidential campaign. Play us. The line of credit, however, on a suspended campaign allows these candidates to continue the seek consult from individuals so they can plan out the rest of their political careers. So the reason why they suspend and they do not end is because it's not about the final moment of their campaign, which is why I believe Ron DeSantis ended his speech with the Winston Churchill quote, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue the counts because he is continuing. And now his eyes are on 2028 or what type of elevated role he might have in a Donald Trump presidency. I personally think he'll stick around as governor. I don't see him being in the Donald Trump presidency because I think he would like 2028 to be more about him in the future. And that could hurt him if he were to, I, I believe it would hurt him if he were to go out that way. So here's some of the things the suspended campaign needs to take into consideration. All right. If you suspend a campaign versus end a campaign, 
you don't have to worry about your loans being settled. You don't have to worry about cash that is needing to be transferred into other final accounts, which means according to the Federal Election Commission, as long as you're suspending, you can withhold paying off your debts. You can continue to spend fundraise money and any money that continues to come in, those contributions, you can try to dig yourself out of the hemorrhaging of money and wind down your campaign until you owe absolutely nothing in your debts. And yes, there is a slight, slight version of this where I guess you could say uh, a person could come back, but that's not normally what's happening. You're not just kicking the can down the road for another day. You are just legally continuing to raise money. You're continuing to find a consultant to tell you what's going on. You, you have a huge staff that you've hired over this time and you want to continue to pay the staff that was essential. And so it gives you the flexibility in order to do so. And so that's why Ramaswamy has stated that he is suspending. This is why DeSantis has suspended. They want to still be able to make more money. You know, Ramaswamy at this point in time, he may want to know if maybe somebody would like to see him in some type of other office, maybe a state senator, maybe a, uh, a congressman, maybe even governor. And so he can use the money in his campaign now, hire more consultants, and then figure out what is my path forward in the future. Although I, I think Ramaswamy sees himself as the number two for Donald Trump. I don't know if you want to tell him. I guess I can tell him. It's not going to happen. I don't see Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form bringing Ramaswamy up uh, in order to uh, try to change people's minds and opinions here about who Ramaswamy is. I really I don't see that happening whatsoever. Let's pivot here. Male loneliness. I want to address the men that listen to the show, ladies, bold Americans that are women. Uh, I am sorry if this is a little bit more targeted. Maybe you can identify with some of the words that I'm about to speak, but I think that it's important for the male listeners right now that you hear what it is that I want to say. I'm going to go off script. I don't have anything written down. I haven't really given this much thought in advance about what I want to say. I just want this to come from my heart. I, I want you to hear this and understand that you're not alone. Men, we're struggling. I, I'm, I'm saying that because I did an episode about a year ago on male loneliness, and I had a good amount of people that reached out to me and said, yeah, thanks for doing that. But yet people said, here's the reality. Guys don't care about other guys. There was research since I did that show a year ago that's been done, and I continue to look at it. And that research said something like 30% of men only have six close friends in their life. 15% felt that they had no close friends whatsoever, which was a huge difference in numbers from just 30 years ago. Where is this coming from? Why is the mental health of men going completely untalked about in the media and around? Well, this is on my heart because one of my listeners 
a fierce supporter of the show, took his life last Friday. Ricky had contacted me a number of times about doing music for the show, being involved in some way, shape, or form, doing an episode on the show because he had graduated from Full Sail University and had studied the effects of 432 hertz on the human mind, as well as what that does to cells. And he really wanted to bring that message to the listening audience, as well as talk about another thing that he was passionate about, which was Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency. It wasn't necessarily Bitcoin. Well, Ricky had a lot of his own issues, and I knew this throughout the years. He had told me that he was autistic um, and that had gotten his way of relationships with individuals. And when you would speak with Ricky, and I would speak with him several times via FaceTime through uh, Facebook Messenger uh, throughout the years. And I spoke with him after different surgeries that he had. And I always knew that he'd bounce back. Uh, he would tell me what was bothering him. Um, but he was in pain. He, he lived his life with pain. Uh, he needed several different surgeries in order to treat that. Uh, he had a neck surgery most recently. Uh, but apparently uh, he was really concerned about being lonely. He had been abandoned uh, by his family, his father, and he was in a relationship. And from what I understand from talking to his girlfriend over the weekend, uh, they had an argument and she's really beating herself up. And I don't think that's fair whatsoever. But I think that what I need to discuss is there's a loneliness in all men right now. Sure, there might be people that are the outliers, but that's not part of the averages. Like when I'm really looking at this, I understand that there are people that they might have friends, but they're not willing to open up on what they're really experiencing. And the reason for that is because there's a societal expectation of being a man at this point in time where it's man up. Don't let it bother you. You got to be strong. You got to be a tough guy. Right, You got to match the norms of society instead of having your emotional needs and desires actually met. And then we get into this phase of the pandemic over the last several years where we isolate people physically and then we are compounding the problem of emotional isolation of men. And so couple that with being unwilling to open up to people because men already, we, we just don't really open up to people about stuff. I guess I'm kind of a, an abnormality, just the fact that I'm talking about this on my platform right now. Um, men have this huge stress to try to earn the most money in relationships because that's what society tells you gives you worth is the amount of money that you're bringing in. Uh, that's your success of your career helps define your success as a person. All this is bull. All of it's a lie. That your success is not weighed on a paycheck. Your success is not weighed on a career. Your success is going to be, how do you leave the world better than when you came into it? And yet we now have a feminist movement that's been going strong now for almost 15 years that have really vilified made complete uh, spectacles of the patriarchy that men have 
constantly belittled woman and put woman down for so many years, and it's time to push back. You, you know what I, I really think at this point in time? I think that this pushback, that while maybe in some forms like church world, a patriarchy, maybe there's this spot where there was a good spot for that conversation, the course correction has gone so mentally ill in the opposite side. That is the reason why we are seeing so many young people in their 40s and 50s as men taking their lives. It is men that don't feel their worth. Men that have started to get down on their luck. They're feeling depression in different aspects of their life and they don't know where to get. Maybe they're getting anxiety of the chronic loneliness that's over in their lives as well. And they're not finding ways to become strong with relationships to connect. And I got to be honest, I'm starting to wonder if we're not fostering communities through social media, through the media that people consume, that aren't just reinforcing this and making people feel lonelier. And so I have this platform, right? We're listening to the show right now. We're all together in this, but we're not right here in this moment alongside one another. And so I'm curious, how can we help to change the culture? How can we change the social issue? How can I promote emotional well-being with my podcast? You know, I do these shows where I, I talk to individuals about the energy that we put into this world, course correcting some of that, talk about the psychology behind all of it. And at times I get met from just a few individuals with the skepticism of just stick the politics. Why are we getting into all this airy type of stuff about horoscopes or the stars or energy or whatever? I'm trying to serve everybody's needs. I'm trying to make sure that I'm going places where I might have not gone before to try to find ways for people to provide resources for them and for their loved ones in the future. That's why I do what I do. Even when I'm breaking out the divide, even when I'm kind of talking about Ron DeSantis just now, I'm not looking to divide anybody from Trump or DeSantis at the end of the day. You make up your own mind. I'm going to tell you exactly just the way that I'm seeing things. And the way that I'm seeing things right now is men, we got to start connecting with others. So I want you, if this is resonating with you in any way, shape or form, you don't need to click the follow button or subscribe to anything with me. But my email address is really easy. It's greg at americaembolden.com. I'd like to connect with you. I'd like to know. Have you felt the feeling of isolation? What have you done in order to help yourself when you felt that way? I'd like to know, how do you do self-care? What do you do for you? Do you join sports teams? Do you join clubs? Do you have organizations? Do you go to church? What, what is it that you do to take care of yourself for your, the balance that you need in your life when things are out of balance? And then with that, I would like to compile some of this and offer uh, more details on a future show to try to give a little bit more support for men that might be feeling this. I don't want to wake up and find more people like Ricky having notes on their page where I find out they're no longer with us. That's unacceptable to me. I want people to know that they're supported. I want people to know that things can be better, that 
this world that we're in right now, it's smoke and mirrors. Put down the phone. Actually have a good moment with your family. Uh, last night, my son came upstairs and he said, Dad, Mom said I should come up and, and, and do something with you. And I was just sitting here playing guitar at the present moment. And I said, okay, what do you want to do? And we kind of went through some ideas. And eventually we started writing some music together. I moved over to his keyboard. I taught him how to read music off the face uh, part. And then after that, we went and we played some video games together and just kind of talked and hung out. And then today we went out and we went sledding and had a great time sledding. Um, it was really good to connect. And in those moments, I know exactly what my wife was doing. It's not hidden to me. It's seeing that probably at that time I'm up here playing guitar. My son's watching YouTube and she's going, you know what? I'd like meaningful connections. That's what I want for the audience. Meaningful connections, right? When I started the Patreon page, right? It, you, you can certainly, this is not a promo for that. This is me simply stating, if you add your email address, it's my hope that we build up thousands of people on there to build a community of like-minded ideas to help with issues like these. And ladies, loneliness is not an issue that is just part that males experience as well. I know that there's many ladies that experience loneliness a profound and some in marriages as well, right? Um, I, I'm not too naive to not understand that both within my own life, that we can uh, have those moments as well as in my listeners' lives. I understand that um, all of us, it takes a village sometimes to, to try to bring each other together. Anyway, I'm speaking off the cuff. I'm speaking from the heart right now. Um, I, I don't even know how long I've been on this topic, um, but I'm going to land my plane there for you guys. Um, get the community together. If that's going to be through me, I'm happy to help facilitate that. Um, perhaps we can help one another out. I think that's important. Now, to end the show today, I said I was going to talk about what science has to say about the divide that we're seeing in our politics. And right now, the polarization that's happening throughout, there's a Washington Post uh, opinion piece by Joel Achenbach that caught my eye over the weekend, where he was trying to figure out why are people supporting Donald Trump as vehemently as they're supporting him, standing outside in frigid temperatures for multiples of hours during a snowstorm just to hear someone speak. Why would they stick it out? And then why would people at the same time go line up just to boo him and raise their middle finger at him? And then you can take the same argument and go over to Joe Biden why are the people that go line up and start yelling F Joe Biden and chanting it when they see him on the street in this country? Uh, why are we at that part of inflammation, of rage, of uh, really uh, just trying to be hurtful instead of fixing things? And so social scientists have been publishing a lot of books about this, he says, and there's been a lot of data. Now, I've talked previously about something he talks about, which is the tribalism, right? We get into our silos and um, 
I, it's funny because I, I know tribalism well because I got a few people that I speak with on almost daily basis that try to align me into a political ideology that I don't actually subscribe to. And when I see it, I stay completely silent. I read the emails. I read the text messages. I, I've listened to the voice on the other side of the phone calls from my friends that I, I have these conversations with. And I don't push back and say, well, you realize that's not who I am, right? I, I'm very cautious not to do so because I think it's more interesting to allow that individual's own tribalism, that individual's own silo to be seen and to be heard. Because when we get down to it, what we find on some of these books, it's that this is all about feelings. It's not based upon facts. It's about feelings about how somebody has a preference for how something should be. Which is why when I do a show over a course of a week of episodes on Michael Bednarik talking about the Constitution, what the facts are about how this country was laid out, it's very important because it removes feelings from the conversation and it says, no, 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 stop. What you're arguing for right now is your preference for what this country should be, not what the country documents actually say the country is in the way that the Constitution was set up to be for all of us to live in. And they use the word evolution in order to keep uh, a good society, right? And so there is a uh, book that you can read from a Yale sociologist, Nicholas Christakis, called Blueprint, The Evolutionary Origins of a Good Society. And what he says is, the evolution of cooperation required outgroup hatred, which is really sad. And he's correct. You look on the social media sites, and now it is about hatred between two groups. And we've zeroed it in to just two parties, Republicans and Democrats, which really are the uniparty. Um, and for people that want to say that Donald Trump is the Republican Party, no. Donald Trump isn't the Republican Party. The Republican Party is no different than the Democrat Party at this point in time. They really aren't. Now, there are outliers. Uh, there are the MAGA Republican candidates that I would say at this point in time that Donald Trump is his own political party. Uh, he is an outsider from the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans just have no identity, so they latch on to him instead of going against him because that is their best chance to win because they don't know how to win. They begin beat, as I said earlier in the show, so bad for so, so long. And so psychology at this point in time might start to ex, uh, explain exactly what's going on. It might talk about why people are taking on these feelings of polarization. It goes to a Pew Research study uh, where it talks about how increasing ideological uniformity and partisan antipathy affect politics, compromise, and everyday life. And we can see in 1994, the majority of people, the medians at that point in time, were in the middle. Democrats and Republicans' middles were not that far apart. And by 2004, guess what? We were even more in the middle. After uh, 2001, it brought the country together. And then 10 years later in 2014, we were horribly divided. We've never seen any type of the vision 
between liberals, the median Democrat, and the median Republican. But there is something really funny that happened in all that. Guess who shifted the most? That's right. It's Democrats. Republicans did shift. They shifted consistently conservative more, but not as much as Democrats dug into the consistently liberal viewpoints. Matter of fact, about three to one was the shift, which means that when Democrats are now looking at the rights, the reason why they're looking at it with such disdain is because they themselves have slipped so far to the far left that they don't understand what is a moderate view just 30 years ago versus what is a completely right-wing perspective. And so if Pew Research is finding this now in their studies, I think that that means we need to start the real things back in somehow. And how do you do that? Well, you got to unplug some of the places where people are getting this complete divisiveness. And yes, there are right-wing accounts out there that are dividing people. Uh, if you are following people that are bait-clicking you constantly, chances are that they are very far on the right. Same thing with the left. The problem is the left has consensus voice now. And according to seeing the study on Pew, the ideological echo chambers are getting louder on the left which means the left thinks that there is more popular swing to their uh, opinions when really the truth is somewhere more in the middle. So what's good to find about this research that science is showing us is the fact that things could be better, but there are forces at play right now that likely have us leaning towards another civil war. Problem is, I don't even know what that war would look like. People don't understand. Why would somebody vote for Joe Biden? He can barely walk up the stairs. He looks so tired. And then people say, well, why would somebody vote for Donald Trump? He's got 91 counts against him. How could they do something like this? Why are you still voting Democrat? Why are you still voting Republican? Well, I don't know that there's an answer here. I don't know why people can't see that we have been completely divided and cut up. And there's no one coming to the rescue except you. And perhaps this goes back to the conversation that I just had about men. So I think in politics, much of this is all the same. People are running to a community, but the community doesn't offer them much of meaning and substance. And so maybe they feel lonely and where they are and isolated. And so they just stick and dig in. Maybe what we really need to find at this point in time is the right social, cultural, and psychological approaches to what ails us in our politics. Maybe what that requires is less arguing and more connecting with people. Maybe that means we need to leverage the technology that's in our world right now and find ways to connect with the other side in meaningful ways. Maybe that means that some people need to acknowledge that they have some type of mental sickness in politics, that this Trump derangement syndrome or whatever the people call it, Trump derangement, something, I, I forget what it is, whatever that may be, that label that gets thrown away there. Well, maybe other people need to look at Joe Biden. 
If if all you see with Joe Biden is, well, he's corrupt and he's in bed with China and everything else, maybe that's just as bad. Maybe there's a mental illness in all of this. Maybe people are suffering. Maybe there's something in the water, something in the air. I don't know. But the polarization is going to bury us all if we don't get it under control rather quickly. And I don't want us to need to be buried. I want us thriving. And I think you do too. I want this country that I've grown up in to continue on for hundreds of years to be a good country for my children. I don't want my son to feel like he can't be a strong male because of whatever society is telling him and politics are telling him. I want my daughter to grow up strong as well and not feel that she needs feminists to raise a voice for her to give her opportunity because she understands that she has her own intrinsic worth and it doesn't come from a mob mentality, but rather from her own efforts and from her own education and from her own ingenuity and self-worth. We need healing, ladies and gentlemen. We need something, some new approach, some new way of seeing things to come very soon. Time is running out. It's of the essence. So what will you do in order to not feel lonely? What will you do in order to understand the other side? What will you do to lower the rhetoric should your political candidate not be the one that gets elected? How will you help make things better instead of continuing to divide the other side? Hope I honored your time well, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back on Wednesday with another show for you and some more great content. Also have an interview coming right up here later this week with Ben Davidson, the suspicious observer. He's coming back on the show. He was on Tim Pool just a few days ago, last Thursday, last Friday. He was on Tim Pool talking and, uh, we're going to follow up on that conversation that he had with him, as well as some new revelations uh, from our last time that we spoke back December 2022. You've been listening to American Bolden with Greg Bolden. Be bold, America. Uh-huh.